Good morning. So good to be here sharing with you this morning what the Lord put on my heart. And, you know, it's it's been interesting. Um, you know, I was asked to share, and honestly, I it was hard at the time because I felt like I didn't really have anything to share. But um, as I waited on the Lord, I was actually thinking about doing an old message, but as I was waiting on the Lord, He really quickened something to me, and it it became a burden in my heart, not just uh, for myself, but for his people. And um, as Daniel shared, what the Lord spoke to me was the importance of maintaining a rejoicing spirit. And um, it's interesting because I was listening to the service last Sunday, and there was a prophetic word, and the Lord said that phrase, and I didn't even realize at the time um, that we need to maintain a rejoicing spirit. And in this time, in this season, it's critical that we have a rejoicing spirit. It's not something that's good to have or nice to have. It is absolutely essential. And that is what the Lord is putting on my heart, that we need a rejoicing spirit, that, that as we rejoice, it will keep our hearts, it will cleanse our hearts, and it will open our hearts to receive from the Lord what we need to continue and to overcome and what is a rejoicing spirit? And I was just thinking about that, waiting on the Lord about that too. You know, it's more than singing and dancing, although that's certainly part of it. A rejoicing spirit is more than an action, an outward action. It's a response. It's a response to God. It's willing to look to the Lord and to delight in Him in every season, no matter what we're facing. It's a spirit that has a right confession and a heavenly perspective. And it's a deliberate choice to believe in the goodness of God and to trust in him, even when we're faced with insurmountable obstacles. It's a spirit that understands that God's in control and this situation is going to do something good in my life. And even more, it's an anticipation of God moving, an anticipation of God speaking, an anticipation of God bringing deliverance. And the first person that came to me when I was thinking about a rejoicing spirit was David. David was a man who had a rejoicing spirit. He was always able to rise above his situation to set his heart on the Lord. And when David was deeply troubled in his soul, uh, he declared this in Psalm 43 in verse 5. Psalm 43 in verse 5, he said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. There was an anticipation in David's heart. Things are difficult. My soul is troubled. And he spoke to his soul, and he said, But we will hope. We will hope, and because of that, I will praise him because I'm anticipating God doing something. How could he do that? Because he knew God. He knew the character of God, and he knew that God was going to move, that somehow God was going to do something in that situation. And instead of being troubled and downcast, which does absolutely nothing for us, he chose to hope. And because he hoped in God, he could rejoice and to praise him. You know, sometimes we don't have a word of faith. Sometimes God does not speak to us in our trials. 
And sometimes we don't feel the presence of God. Sometimes we certainly do not feel joy in our soul, but we can still have a rejoicing spirit because we have hope. We have hope in who God is. You know, of a rejoicing spirit that chooses to hope in God. You know, no matter what David faced, and I was thinking about this in a fresh way, no matter what he faced, he rejoiced and he chose to look to God. He lost a child. What was the first thing he did? He cleansed himself. He put on new garments and he went into the house of God. You know, when his son betrayed him, he cried out to God. When he faced discouragement and failure in Ziklag, it said he encouraged himself in the Lord. He maintained a rejoicing spirit. And we know when he brought the ark and when there was victory, of course there's great rejoicing. That's the easy part. But he chose to commit himself to God and to rejoice even in devastating loss in the face of failure, the face of defeat and betrayal. He said, no, Lord, I will trust in you. I will hope in you. You know, the word that I was getting wasn't just a rejoicing spirit. Maintain a rejoicing spirit. And I want us to understand this keyword maintain because it's easy to rejoice during times of blessing and victory. But the Lord wants our spirit of rejoicing to continue or to be maintained in times of difficulty, in times of failure, of loss, of discouragement. In fact, that is the most important time to find our, our rejoicing in the Lord and to look to Him. And we'll see why as we continue through this psalm, but I want to, or through this message, but I want to look first at Psalm 84, at Psalm 84, because when we rejoice, God does something. God does something in our hearts. In Psalm 84, and we're going to read verses 5 through 7, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain fills the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appears before God. And I want us to look at this man. Scripture, he's called a blessed man. He's a godly man. He looks to the Lord for his strength, the ways of God. They're in his heart. And yet, he's passing through this valley of Baca. And Baca means weeping or sorrow. God was leading this man through an appointed time of weeping and sorrow. And I want us to understand that we can be doing everything right and God will still lead us through these times of weeping and sorrow. And that could be for many different things. And we all know, we've all been there. We all know what that feels like. And God leads us into those places to do something in our lives. But I want us to see, he didn't just go through this valley. And remember, God always takes us through not just in, but through. These are only seasons in our lives. But there's something precious that happened in the life of this man. He did something. He made it a well. He didn't just sit and weep and cry. He did something. And a well is a hole that's dug into the earth so that you can find a source of clean, refreshing water. And we know that there's rivers on the surface of the earth, and there's also rivers under the earth. And I know my in-laws, Daniel's parents in Virginia, they had a rushing river under their house. Um, and so there are rivers we can tap into deep in the earth. 
And in our lives, you know, sometimes the rivers on the surface, they can run dry. But oh, we can tap into something deep that won't run dry. And God wants us to tap into a river that will sustain us, that will strengthen us to carry on in those seasons of our lives that are very, very difficult. So we see through this man, going through the Valley of Baca doesn't necessarily change us alone. This man did something. He dug a well. And the Lord is really quickening to me that when we choose to have a rejoicing spirit, we are digging a well. We are digging a well. When we choose to set our eyes on him, to trust in him, to hope in him, to look for something good in our situation to be thankful for, we are digging a well. And we will find the river of God if we will do that. We will find a well to drink from. You know, there was a pastor that shared with us his testimony. And he had been on the mission field for many years with his children. And he came home. And while he was home, his, one of his children became very sick, very ill. Um, and they, they took their child to the doctor and found out that they had a, a cancer. And he said, you know, here he had been serving the Lord on the mission field, and he came home for a break. And this happened. And he said he felt like someone just punched him in the stomach. He was so discouraged. Just all the life went out of him. And he was very burdened. Of course, anyone would be in that situation. And he said he went to church sometime after that. It was an evening service. And he went, and people were praising the Lord and dancing. And he had no strength to do that. And, you know, he was just, he was there. You know, he was there, which was good. But he said the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to rejoice. And he said, Lord, I... I can't. I have no strength to rejoice in you. And the Lord spoke to him again, rejoice in me. And he said, okay, Lord. So he started just, you know, just lifting his feet a little bit. But he said, you know, once he started to obey the word of the Lord, he said, all of a sudden, he felt that burden break off. And he started lifting his feet higher. And he started lifting his hands and rejoicing before the Lord with all of his might. And he said that, that burden, that heaviness just broke off of him. And he began to feel the joy and the strength of God. He was in the valley of Baca. And he dug deep. And in that place of sorrow, he found a well in Christ that gave him joy instead of his sorrow. Strength instead of weakness. And hope where there had been uncertainty. You know, there's such power when we choose to rejoice because it fills us with his strength. And it says of this man in Psalm 84, what happened to him after he dug that well and he received the blessing? He went from strength to strength. And he appeared. He was part of that company that appeared before God in Zion. You know, we want to press on to Zion. We need strength. But the only way we can do that is if we choose to have a rejoicing spirit in our times of difficulty. Sometimes we have this idea that to rejoice, we have to have joy. But that's not the thought of this rejoicing spirit. It's as we rejoice, in anticipation, that the joy of the Lord fills our hearts. When we choose to rejoice in God, we tap into a flow 
a flow of his river, and there we will receive what we need to carry on. The Philippian church was birthed in part because of two men that had a rejoicing spirit. They had been beaten. They had been put in prison. You know, they were preaching. They were doing everything right. And yet they found themselves in this dark prison experience and being wounded. But what did they do in that place? They lifted their voices to their heavenly father. Did they feel like it in their body? I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they didn't. But they chose to make a well in that dark place. They chose to dig. And what happened when they rejoiced? All heaven came down. The presence of God came to that place and shook that prison and shook it in such a powerful way that all the chains broke off. And not just for Paul and Silas, but for every prisoner in that, in that prison house. That's the power of a rejoicing spirit. That is the power of a rejoicing spirit. It takes our eyes off of our situations, put our eyes on God, and it brings our souls out of prison, and it can set other people free too. And the fruit of that was the church of Philippi. You see how important it is to have a rejoicing spirit. They were beaten, they were in prison, but that was only part of it. That wasn't the end of the story. But it was that they would rejoice so that fruit would come forth, eternal fruit in that land. As we choose to worship God in our darkest hour, it is one of the most powerful things we can do. It releases the floodgates of heaven upon our lives, and we are set free from our heaviness, and we can be filled with his joy and his strength. In Proverbs, I can barely read this, Proverbs 28, 12, I think is the verse, is that right? Proverbs 28, 12, it says, When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory. I want to look at one other, well, I have a couple more thoughts, but one is also that a rejoicing spirit keeps our hearts. It preserves us. A rejoicing spirit will sustain us, through difficult and challenging times so that we don't become bitter and we don't become offended. In Proverbs 15, 13, it says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. And, you know, we pass through experiences that are crushing. And I know we've all passed through experiences that are crushing, but we don't want our spirits to be crushed. We don't want our spirits to be broken. A broken spirit is open and vulnerable to the enemy for bitterness, for anger, for self-pity, for these things to come in so that we lose sight of God and of his purposes. So we, in these times when we feel crushed, it's essential that we go into the presence of God, that we put our eyes on him and we ask him, Lord, cleanse me, wash me, Heal me, set me free. If there's any bitterness, if there's any anger, if there's any frustration, Lord, wash it away. And as we do that, as we choose that attitude of of a rejoicing spirit, God will keep us. It also heals our hearts. In Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And I was looking at this word bones. Of course, our whole body is held together by bones. <laughs> our bones are strong. 
You know, a rejoicing spirit will heal our hearts and our spirits, but a broken spirit, it dries up our strength. It dries up our joy. And everything that's holding us together spiritually begins to fall apart. And so, you know, in these times, we, we want to be careful. We don't want our, our wells to be blocked or to be dried up because of hard experiences. You know, maybe someone has done something against you. There's been a situation that's brought deep sorrow into your life. And you feel like your joy and your strength is just being dried up. You know, the Lord says, a merry heart, a rejoicing spirit, come into his presence. His presence is fullness of joy. And there we'll find what we need. The next point is probably the most important one that I really felt on my heart. And it's the main one we're going to look at in the, in the last point, is a rejoicing spirit is the key to entering into the promises of God. A rejoicing spirit is the key to entering into the promises of God. Years ago, the Lord gave me a word about Israel, the children of Israel. And he said this, what rejoicing Israel had after they crossed the Red Sea. And we can read that in scripture. It was tremendous. They sang, they danced, they got the song of the Lord. Of course, there was great victory. But the Lord said, how much more glorious would it have been if they had rejoiced in me on the other side? Well, you see, what happened was this. They were afraid. They were discouraged. They looked back and they set their eyes. It actually says they looked upon the enemy and they were afraid. And then they looked forward. And all they saw was an obstacle. And they were in an impossible situation. They were. But Moses came and he said, stand still and see the salvation of God because the enemy you see today, you will see no more. He chose to have a rejoicing spirit, to dig that well, to look upon God. And he encouraged the hearts of the people. And of course, we know the Lord opened the Red Sea and they went across and what great rejoicing there was. But oh, if they had rejoiced in anticipation of what God was going to do and you know, it is sad because Israel never learned to maintain a rejoicing spirit. They were up and they were down. Every time they had victory, they were excited. But every time there was a difficulty, every time they were discouraged, they could not maintain their rejoicing spirit. They didn't choose to continue to put their hope and trust in God. Instead, they focused on their problems and they had a different spirit, a spirit of murmuring and a spirit of complaining. A spirit that didn't believe that God was able in the difficult times to do it until he had to prove himself again and again and again. And so it's sad that they limited God because of their response. And they didn't let God work in their lives how he wanted to through situations. They seemed to push everything away. And the end of the matter is this. They never entered into the promised land. But there were two who did. There were two men who did, and we know their names, Joshua and Caleb. And why did they enter in? They had a different spirit. They had a different spirit. And let's look at their confession in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 8. They give us the key to entering into the promised land, into the promises of God. Numbers 14 and verse 8, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us 
into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. You know, Joshua came before the congregation with a rejoicing spirit, declaring, God is more than able. He's with us. And he said this, if he delights in us, he will bring us into the land. If the Lord delights in us, we will enter the promises of God. We must learn to be a delight to him. And how do we do that? It's by making him our delight, to choose to look to him and rejoice in him, to be thankful, to be like Caleb and Joshua. Say, but God spoke. He's with us. He will go before us. There's nothing too hard for him. And you know, this is what separated Joshua and Caleb from the rest of the company. They had a different spirit. They had a rejoicing spirit, a spirit that could see beyond the obstacles to the greatness of God, who was able to do all that he had promised. And if we want to enter into the promises of God, we have to develop a rejoicing spirit, or we, like Israel, will miss what God is seeking to do in our lives. Caleb said this before he went in to conquer his inheritance. This is 40 years later. Joshua said, or Caleb said this in Joshua 14, verses 10 through 12. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these 40 and 5 years since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I'm 85. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. I want us to consider for a moment this testimony. Caleb, and if you read earlier, you know, uh, in Numbers, it is so sad. And my heart goes out to these two men because they pleaded with Israel. They pleaded with Israel. They fell on their faces that they would not rebel against the word of the Lord. And here Caleb and Joshua both were forced to wait to enter into their promises, even though they had done everything right, because of a people who complained and could not see the goodness of God, and they limited God. He was forced to endure 40, another 40 years in the wilderness. But, you know, he had a rejoicing spirit. He could have become bitter against Israel. He could have become bitter against Moses. He could have become bitter against God, but he didn't. He rejoiced. He continued to keep his eyes on the Lord, and he endured that wilderness with Joshua, even with the rejoicing spirit. And that rejoicing spirit kept him those long years. And because he continually dug that well, he was strong in the Lord. He was strong so that when he was 85, oh, that rejoicing spirit quickened him and kept him and gave him the joy of the Lord that made him strong. And he said, I'm as strong as I was 40 years ago, and I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to go in. You know, Caleb was like that man from Psalm 84. He went from strength to strength. And we know one of the fruits of rejoicing is the fruit of joy. And we know Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need strength in this day and in this hour, strength to stand, strength to endure, strength to inherit the promises. And if we want to be those who are strong, ready and willing in the day of his power, we have to maintain a rejoicing spirit. 
You know, Joshua and Caleb had a rejoicing spirit, and they went in. Israel had a complaining spirit, and it disqualified them. Complaining will limit the work of God in our lives. Dwelling on our problems will just keep us in the pit. And ultimately, it will keep us from entering into our inheritance. You know, when we complain, we're actually finding fault against God. Because who's in control of our situations? Who's in control of the people that are in our lives that cause us such difficulty? It's God. And so we have to trust that he's doing a purpose and look to him and cry out to him. When, you know, and when, because then we can be preserved. You know, it's critical that we tend to our spirits and cry out to God to cleanse us from complaining, to cleanse us from having a critical spirit and ask him to help us to see him and to rejoice in him. And so my purpose is to lay before you today a fresh vision that we would be a people who would maintain a rejoicing spirit, that this would become more and more important. I believe this will become more important because the days are going to grow darker and darker, and we won't make it without a rejoicing spirit. We must learn to develop it in our lives so that it becomes natural to us. It becomes a continual response to the Lord. You know, Paul was a man who maintained a rejoicing spirit. In Philippians 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, Paul wrote that in a prison. Paul understood the importance of a rejoicing spirit. He understood it wasn't something, as I said earlier, that was just nice to have or good to have. He had to have a rejoicing spirit. It was necessary. That is the only way he could rise above his situations to hear from God and to receive what he needed from God to endure. And we know he met with God. We know he heard from God. How do we know that? Because we have the book of Philippians. We have many other epistles he wrote in prison because he chose to have a rejoicing spirit. And that's why he could say, we rejoice. We rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You know, even when people were speaking against him from the pulpit, he talks about this in Philippians. Also, he said, well, you know, they're, they're speaking those wrong things, but I rejoice. Why? Because Christ is still preached. He found something to rejoice about. He took his eyes off himself. Oh, wow, they talk about against me. At least Christ is being preached. He had a rejoicing spirit. He had to. He could have become one of the most bitter men in Scripture with everything he went through, but instead he became a rejoicing servant of the Lord. And so he understood that the only way through those situations was to have a rejoicing spirit. And my burden as I was preparing this is that we would become a people who have a rejoicing spirit. Because the Lord was speaking to me about Israel, you know, they received the promise. They left Egypt willing to go into the wilderness because of the promise. They wanted the promise, but they still didn't receive it because of one thing. Their spirit did not bring delight to the Lord because of one thing. And we can receive the promise we can believe the promise. We can even forsake things for the promise. And these things are good and they're important, but that is not enough. We have to ask ourselves, am I delighting the Lord? 
Are my attitudes bringing delight to him? Are my words bringing delight to him? Is my attitude bringing delight to you, Lord? Because if we continually complain about our situations, if we become bitter or angry or easily offended, if we're quick to criticize those over us or our leadership, we're in danger of losing the promise. And that's what I felt so strongly. We can do all these things. But if we don't maintain a rejoicing spirit, we will not bring delight to the Lord. And that is what matters to enter the promised land. It's only if He allows us to go in. We can't earn it. We choose to put our eyes on Him. and We choose to delight in Him. We choose to be thankful, to have hope, to have an expectation that He's going to do something. When we feel the burdens come upon us, we learn to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to meditate on that. It doesn't do us any good. That's what he told me. It doesn't do you any good. Release it to me. Stop dwelling on it and choose to put your hope in me and rejoice in me in that situation. You know, this past year, I've gone through some difficult things. It's probably one of the most difficult years of my life, and I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. But I feel like God's beginning to bring me out. And this is my treasure of darkness, is learning to have a rejoicing spirit and the importance of that. And I share that with you because of a burden in my heart. We can be in Zion. We can have promises for revival. I'm just being very blunt. We can have these things. We can leave all but, oh, our attitude. It is our attitude that will determine if we will go in or not. And that is just laid so heavy on my heart. Oh, Lord, help us to be washed from, from complaining or being critical or maybe self-pity, just dwelling on things and feeling so sorry for ourselves. Lord, help us to learn to dig a well by having a rejoicing spirit, believing I'm going to tap into the river of God and you're going to speak to me and you're going to give me what I need and you're going to do something good in our lives because that's who we serve. We serve a God who keeps his promises. We serve a God who's faithful and who is true. And so I just lay that before you this morning. We want to enter into the promises. We don't want to miss one thing God has for us. I don't want any one of you to miss, or anyone who's listening to this message, God help us. We must get our attitudes right against people, against situations, and against the Lord, because if we delight in Him, He will bring us into the land. Amen. Amen. God bless you.